You're listening to Emmanuel Christian Center's podcast. Join us as we jump into our series, Keeping It 100, Ancient Wisdom from 1 Corinthians. Whether it be polarization, division, arrogance, sexuality, personal freedoms, or the truth of eternity, the Apostle Paul didn't shy away from difficult topics. Join us as we keep it real and learn how to live authentically in the modern world with age-old problems. If you had the answers to these questions, how different would your world be? We're excited to see what God is going to do in your story. Get ready. God is on the move. Good morning, everyone. How many of you love Jesus today? You love him? Big shout out to all of our locations, but especially Lakeville today. It is our one-year anniversary of Lakeville becoming a part of the Emmanuel family. What's up? Happy birthday! Woo-hoo! All the locations gather together, and uh, we celebrate you. We're appreciative of you. Thank you. Also want to welcome back all of the ladies who went to sisterhood this week. And uh, wow. Like some serious energy and a word from God and the altars and then the after party and all of that. I got to see the pictures. They wouldn't let me in. So, you know, um, but welcome back. If you came on Friday and you chose to return on on Sunday, thank you for choosing to join us this morning. We're glad that you're here and uh, we're jumping into this message. Uh, We're in a series called Keeping It 100. And in keeping it 100, uh, there's this idea out of the letter to the first Corinthians or the book of first Corinthians that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church that we could listen to it the way the New Testament believers listen to it. And so actually today I have on, on the, the platform with me just some people, parts of our team Emmanuel, part of Emmanuel family and uh, Jessica and Clarence. And, and you know, I, I was going to say, you know how to sing really good, bro. And sometimes I wish I could sing just like you. And then we have Morier and Lucas. And, uh, and I would say I'd like to sing like the ladies, but not so much. <laughs> but you guys are amazing, too. And then, Lucas, you like, do a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. So thank you for being a part. They're just going to sit up here with me while we're reading through the, the letter, just like in 1 Corinthians it was when it was house-to-house uh, churches. And a letter was written, and we're going to read through it, just as we have in the previous week. So if you want to read any of our, or hear the previous messages, you can go back on our Emmanuel MN app or on our website, and you can catch up with us. We're on part number four today, and the title of the message is Assembled to Love. Assembled to Love. Now, to get us going here, I have on here a bunch of parts, body parts. I've got a hand. I've got... I've got, uh, what else do we got here? We got a, a hat, it looks like. We've got a tongue, and uh, I think these are feet. These are feet. You know what this is? This is Mr. Potato Head, okay? Now, if, I don't know if any of you have ever seen Mr. Potato Head, but Mr. Potato Head, uh, there's just a bunch of parts. And uh, for the purpose of today's message, we're looking at 1 Corinthians, This is much like the body parts that Paul is going to talk about. We're going to read in a few moments. And separated from each other, they're just a bunch of parts on the table. But they need to be assembled. They need to be brought together. And that's when they become a whole. A Mr. Potato Head, if you will. So, Lucas, you're going to help me out with this. Uh, I've got some help. A professional. He knows how to put this thing together. Now, don't go too fast. Last, last service, he did it in like 30 seconds. I mean, it was crazy. 
Uh, I want us to go ahead and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, because we're going to cover chapters 11 through 14 today, as we have, if you've been in the groups going along with our participant guide. We're going to cover a number of chapters of 1 Corinthians today, but I want to start by looking at 1 Corinthians 13, because it's really the culmination or the central or underlying theme of the entire letter to the church in Corinth. And I think it's important for us, and then we'll go back to chapter 11 in a moment. We'll start with 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and Morier, can you help me by reading this? Yeah. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Wow. Um, how many have heard that passage before? Maybe at a wedding or in other places. I want you to remember the context that Paul is sending this to the church. And he's saying that out of everything the church does, what matters the most is love. Nothing else matters. Nothing at all. And the church there had become proud of their gifts, even their spiritual gifts, what they could do. And they were oblivious to who the gifts were for. Because the gifts weren't for the one that received the gift. The gift was to be used by the Spirit to reach the people around you. And so Paul begins to say, hey, listen, all the religious status symbols or what it means to be a great Christian... Uh, spiritual knowledge and faith to move mountains and giving everything to the poor, sacrificing your body. All of that is a waste without love. See, love is a really, really big deal. And no, not every definition of love is the same. Not all love. It's not love is love. There's a God's love that we're looking at. Come on, somebody. So Paul describes what he means by love, by providing specific actions of what love is. And what love is not. Love is patient. It's kind. It's always hopeful. And it endures through every circumstance. Let me just say this. What love does, what it is, is action-oriented toward others. It doesn't just persevere, if you will, or endure through every circumstance for itself. Love perseveres for other people. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm in it for the long haul with you. <laughs> it's about others. We're, we're, we're stretching. So love does this. And it's always hopeful. He says love is not jealous or proud or irritable or rude. That's what love is not. God's love. And by the way, he's not talking to the world outside the church. This isn't a text to go, our country is horrible. You don't use this text to judge the world. This is a text for us. We can't be rude because it's not love. 
And those things that love is not actually destroys the possibility of connection with the rest of the body. Love does not rejoice about injustice. Love does not give up. It doesn't lose, lose faith in others, and it keeps no record of wrong. So love is actually the thing that brings all of Mr. Potato Head together. So the parts that are down will actually become disconnected if we don't have love. Love is what pulls it all together and keeps it together. Literally, the people are not the church without love. Love connects the body to the rest of the church, and love directs the gifts of the Spirit to help other members. So what are the obstacles to this happening for the church in Corinth? They have become selfish. They had had comparison with each other. There was division that we've already addressed in previous weeks of this series. And now Paul addresses the obstacles in loving others. And let me just say this. Being disconnected keeps you not only from giving ministry, but receiving ministry. You know, one of the concerns that I have as a pastor in 2022 of America is that we are not regularly connected to the rest of the body like maybe previous generations of churches were and Christians were. When there was times when we, I remember when I was a kid, and this doesn't mean it was a better time altogether, but I was in church on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night, and I was, I was regularly connected to the rest of the church. There's dangers and familiarity and all of that, but we've swung all the way to another end of the pendulum now, where we consider going to church watching online. And I'm not saying that's bad. In fact, if you're watching online right now, I love you so much. <laughs> but I would just say that, don't do it for too long. You need to be connected to the rest of the body or you're a disconnected ear. You're not connected and you aren't receiving the love from the rest of the body. And Paul is saying, hey, I want you to assemble it in a different way. So how love assembles, I'm going to give you four things here. How does love assemble the body? And we're going to go back to chapter 11. Number one, love breaks barriers. Love breaks barriers. In other words, the gospel is countercultural in that era and this. In all of Paul's letters, he emphasizes that in Christ, there aren't distinctions between classes of ethnicity and gender. They are together. They're at the same table as one body. In the rest of the world outside the church, you weren't allowed to be at the same table. But because of Jesus, we're at the same table. Can I get an amen to that? So I want us to read from 1 Corinthians 11, 11. But among the Lord's people, women are not independent of men, and men are not independent of women. For although the first woman came from man, every other man was born from a woman, and everything comes from God. All right, now, those of you that actually read through 1 Corinthians 11 this week know this is a difficult section of Scripture to understand and work through. And I'm not going to take you through an entire class on it this morning. I could, but I, I don't want to. Uh, it would be actually a landmine uh, avoidance uh, exercise for me. But I do want you to notice that Paul says, hey, listen, in the conversation, don't exclude the women's voice. We actually need both. Now, if you read the rest of the chapter, you might think that's what he's saying, that he's trying to 
shut them down and move them out. But that's not what he's saying. If you read the full heart of Paul's talk, he's really talking about three things. In all, all of Paul's letters that he wrote, not just 1 Corinthians, women were allowed to pray in church, to prophesy, to speak and share what they were hearing from the Spirit. So he does allow that. And then in Corinth, Corinth is a unique church situation where the church emerges out of a culture where people were ready to throw out cultural traditions as a statement. Some people were apparently intentionally challenging people in the church with their new freedoms. In other words, division had arose over who could talk and who couldn't in church, and they were talking over each other. And people, there was actually divisions in the church. So Paul gives his instructions. But I want you to know the backdrop of Paul's heart for his church. Don't get in gender wars. Don't get caught up in this and that where you forget the fact that all of us are one. In Galatians chapter 3, for example, he says there's neither male nor female. He actually addresses that in other letters. But he's addressing a particular fight that was going on in the Corinthian church. We don't know exactly what that was. And you need to understand there's something else going on in the text. So how love assembles is, is he breaks down those barriers. He's wanting us to be one body. Turn to the person on your right and your left and say, I need you. I need you. I need you. Secondly, how love assembles is love assembles when Jesus is remembered. When Jesus is remembered, love assembles the body. It pulls everything together. See, the church met together, but had begun to be selfish with everything, eating without sharing. They were calloused to each other's needs. It was almost as if Jesus was no longer at the table. So they're sitting down and the meal's in front of them and they're like, it's all mine. I'm not going to share with you. Uh, and that's where the church was. And Paul said, this isn't good because you actually have people that are hungry, people that are not in a good place. So let's go ahead and read, starting with verse 23. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you think of it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. Wow. Uh... This, we do a whole sermon series right now just on this particular part of the of 1 Corinthians. Let me just highlight a couple of things. First of all, he goes back to the night that Jesus was betrayed. And he talks about that, what we now call communion. It's the practice of the Lord's table. And it's, it's what pulls everybody together. 
It's the very central piece of what holds the church together. We might not agree on a whole lot of things, but one thing we can agree on, Jesus died for our sins. That he rose from the dead and he's alive. And every time that believers would gather, that was the centerpiece. That was the thing that held it all together. It was his love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So while we have all kinds of other things going on in the world, let's not forget this most, most important thing. You know, uh, we can get caught up in whatever the political moment is. We can get caught up in whatever the the debate of the day is, it missed the fact, no, that's not what draws us together. It's not the fact that we vote the same way, because none of us do. It's the fact that we have Jesus at the center. How many are thankful that Jesus saved you from your sins? That he died on the cross for you? I mean, there's just, let's never forget that, right? I mean, I mean, out of all the other things, if we lose that, we're in trouble. So our secret sauce is Jesus' presence showing up in that context. Of course, Jesus has said, wherever two or three gather together in my name, I'm there. So if we're together in Jesus' name around the, the body and the, and, the, and, the, and the blood of Jesus, symbolized in the communion, the bread and the, and the juice or the wine, and if we come around that, that's what pulls us together. And of course, there's so many promises that come when, when, when we commemorate Jesus. Uh, the, the broken body of Jesus, Isaiah, forecasting the Messiah, says it is by his stripes, we're what? We're healed. So there's a possibility every single time we gather, God can heal physical bodies. In this church, in your home, where believers gather together. We got to believe that, church. That's not something that is ancient. This is something believers do all the time that we gather, believing in that. And then on top of that, the, the wine or the juice that we use, that, that is uh, commemorating his blood. His blood washes away all of our sins. It's atoned for by the work of Jesus. We're not saved by our works. We're saved by the grace of Jesus. And so we commemorate that again. That it evens the playing field, that there's nobody better than anybody else in the church. And it's the blood of Jesus that holds us all together. And by the way, when you're facing demonic uh, onslaughts outside the church, when you're battling things in your mind or in your relationships, you need the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's it, right? I mean, we got to remember that. It's what pulls us all together. And then each time we do that, Paul says, we're also announcing not only did Jesus come, but he's coming back. That as a church, we got to remember, hey, this is not the eternal world. This is, you know, heaven is not Minnesota. Come on, somebody. Jesus is coming back for his bride. That's what we live for. Don't get caught up in temporary pleasure and miss the fact that we're looking for his soon return. That's what should get you all excited. But the problem was the church had become casual with these things. They no longer paused to remember the depth and the breadth of Jesus' forgiveness and his grace. They went right through worship and didn't pause and remember, I'm saved by grace. They gathered together. They went through their routine, their ritual, 
They threw money in the offering plate and they left. And Paul says, this isn't good. It's not only not good for the body as far as us coming together, it's also not good for individual parts of the body because some people in the church were actually getting physically sick because they're abusing this. Now, we don't talk about this in the church much. I don't think that God causes people to be sick, but there are things that we do to our body that make us sick. How many of you know you put enough foreign substances in your body, it's going to affect you? So you misuse what you're doing. There's a supernatural and a physical impact. And so he says, you got to examine yourselves. Look inwardly. Pause. Examine yourself before communion. Wait for each other. See yourself as connected to each other. How love assembles, number three. Love assembles all the individual parts of the body. Let's go ahead and go into the next verse there, Marie, verse 14. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not a part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable or those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen. While the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Woo! Let the church say amen to that, right? This is the body. Now, obviously, it's for a crude illustration today. But he's essentially saying what I said at the beginning. We're all different. We all have a different contribution, a different gift set, but we're all part of one body. And we can't say to somebody we don't like or we're irritated by, I don't need you. In fact, even the undesirable, the, the parts that nobody wants to be around, they're meant to be a part of the body. Extra grace required people. <laughs> Come on, somebody. People that just run you the wrong way. We need each other. It's the whole body. And the Spirit anoints us with gifts that are different from each other. I would dare say that at this table, all five of us have different gifts. And yet the Spirit gave you what you needed and you needed and you needed. All of us 
and he chose it for his own reasons. And we can't wish we were something else. We got to embrace who God has called us to be, all right? And uh, that's something that's really important for you to identify. Otherwise, the church becomes a Netflix show that you just observe a TED Talk from the preacher on Sunday morning, and then you go about your business and not recognize the fact that you're actually a part of this whole thing. And I'm only one part. I might be the most visible part. You know, I might be the one that everybody sees, but this, I'm not Emmanuel. I'm only a part of Emmanuel. I'm the mouth of Emmanuel, I guess. But you are a part. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are a part of this church. So this is why we spend a lot of time. Actually, it's important for you to think about where you fit. So like we want everybody in Emmanuel to go through growth track. And the reason we want everybody to go through, even those that have been in the church for 20 years, we want you to go through because we want you to discover where you fit. We want you to be connected. We go through a whole shape profile that talks about your spiritual gifts and your abilities and your personality and your experiences. And we talk about it around tables like this where we just say, process that. What does that mean for you? And then we want you to take a step. Experiment. If one thing doesn't work, there's probably another thing. Don't give up. It's not a sign that you don't fit in the overall body. It just means you haven't found the particular role that you want to be in. And there's great diversity in the church. The spirit decides where he wants them. And the purpose of our gifts is to care for each other. You are not gifted for yourself. You are gifted for your neighbor. We are gifted for each other. In fact, what does it say in verse 25? This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for who? Each other. And if one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. Repeat this after me. It's not for me. It's not for me. And so really, Paul is saying, hey, listen, all these gifts are meant for the rest of the church. Chapter 13, we've already covered. We've gone through now chapter 11, chapter 12, chapter 13. I started off with on the love chapter, we like to call it. Now let's go ahead and move to, to the very next chapter, chapter 14. How love assembles. Number four, love partners with the spirit to build others up. Love partners with the spirit to build others up. Verse 14 says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may what? Prophesy. Now, I'm just going to say this because this entire chapter goes back and forth regarding an issue in the church. Um, this church was really proud of the spirituality that they had. They had gifts and they were using them all the time but they were using them for themselves. And speaking in tongues is one of the gifts or the charismata, the graces of the church. And, and they were utilizing it all the time and they were pretty proud of it. In fact, they were talking over the top of each other, but nobody understood anything. And so Paul says, hey, listen, um, that's a good thing, but you need to not stop there. You need to desire something more. You need to desire prophecy. So why prophecy? 
Why does he want them to pursue prophecy? Well, prophecy is speaking God-inspired words in the language of the people who hear you. So it's not just speaking unknown languages. It's speaking in a way that makes sense to the people that are near you. Sometimes in the church cultural world, we think of prophecy as end times, apocalyptic, um, woe is me, the end is coming, run for the hills kind of prophecies. But biblically speaking, prophecy is speaking in the current time, in the language of the listener, to benefit them, to build them up. So prophecy, biblically speaking, yes, it was real time, but you'd see even in the Old Testament, the major function of Old Testament prophets was to speak real-time counsel to the kings, to come alongside leaders and speak real-time. That was behind the scenes about it. And then you do see these big oracles about nations and sometimes things like Daniel, and you're like, whoa, what's coming? And, and, and when is Gog and Magog and all of that? And you can get caught up in all of that. But real-time speak of prophecy is to encourage the church. So when Paul is saying, hey, and when you gather together, desire to have prophecy. So that you can encourage each other. And not in crazy, weird ways, but to, to get together and go, I just want to encourage you. I feel like God is saying this, or smile. You can have a prophetic ear. Sometimes people don't have anybody in their life listening, and you can be a prophetic ear to listen to them in real time. Sometimes you have a prophetic smile, by the way. You can be serving in the parking lot in Team Emmanuel and waving at people, and it could be very prophetic because somebody's pulling in, and they're they're facing demonic strongholds and maybe they're in depression or whatever it may be. You can be the smile of heaven to them in real time. So it's not just in weird spiritual language. It's actually what is the spirit saying right now to encourage your sisters and brothers? Church, this is what Paul says. He says, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. Earnestly go after them. Pursue the gifts. Want them. Don't you want to be used of God to build your sisters and brothers up? Listen, there is more than what you already have. There's more. I'm 50, none of your business years old. I've experienced more altar times and more church services and more supernatural things. And yet there is more for your pastor. I want more and I want more for you. I want you to desire more. Not just sit around and live at the lowest level of the capacity that God has for you. If you're in the body, you should be saying, oh, Lord, I want everything you got. Awaken that in my soul. Problem was the Corinthian church was out of control spiritually. They're on the other end. So some of us, we aren't operating in the gifts at all. We're not functioning in the spiritual gifts. And Corinth was on the other end. They were overdoing it. They had sloppy agape. <laughs> they were just doing whatever they felt like doing, and it wasn't really helping people. They were getting like random prophetic words, and they were spraying it like a machine gun, and it was actually hurting people more than it was helping. And so Paul, in a sense, is saying, hey, listen, you need to learn to let love be the operating factor in this so that the motivation is to build up, not to put the spotlight on yourself. See, if you're seeking the gifts, it isn't about you becoming a superhero. In fact, maybe nobody will ever know. Maybe nobody should ever know what you did. But you know you're used of God 
to benefit the body. So here's the rule Paul has. He says, let everything be done in order, not talking over the top of each other and allowing all the gifts at once. Slow down. That's what spiritual leaders and pastors and churches are meant for. We're meant to bring order. Now, we're not to be controlling. We're not meant to, to stop the gifts. But we also need to make sure that it's not hurting the rest of the body. So doing things decently in order. 1 Corinthians 14, 39. So my dear brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and don't forbid speaking in tongues. But be sure that everything is done properly and in order. See, here's the hope. The hope is if we follow the Bible, we follow God's way, we partner with the Spirit, the body will be built up. Love will flow in the church, that Jesus will be here, and wherever Jesus is, anything can happen. So anytime that we gather as a church, it could be Sunday morning, it could be Wednesday night, it could be in a connect group, it could be in the hallway, it could be anywhere that we gather, our desire has to be, Lord, would you show up here? Every time that we gather, we're going to receive communion. In fact, in a moment, you can get your cups ready in each of our locations. In a moment, I don't do it yet, but if you need help, by the way, with these cellophane things, don't feel shameful about asking for help. Sometimes I can't get it all the way off. But the, the promise was when believers would gather together that Jesus would show up and the power of God would be there and that would be the distinctive factor of the church in the world. That we love each other and the gifts meant, are meant to build each other up. Before we go into communion though, I want to just say something. Go ahead and look this way if you would. I think it's really important for you to understand that really entrance into the body is not by your works or being perfect. Being connected to the body is only by the work of Jesus. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I don't know what your story is. Maybe you didn't grow up in church and you don't even know the full gospel. Maybe you once walked with God, but you've walked away. But you know in your heart that you need a savior and you need to be connected to Jesus. And the pathway to do that is to bow your heart before him, to surrender to Jesus, to recognize Jesus is the Lord and you're not, and you surrender to him every part of who you are, your sin, the things you feel good about, everything, and you say, I can't do this on my own, and you surrender to Christ. That's the pathway in, and there's a beautiful thing that takes place. He makes us new creations. We're born again, as John chapter 3 says. There's something new that begins, and it's not birthed by us. It's birthed by God. And so you can pause right now before we receive communion because if perhaps you've been listening and you're not a part of the body because you have not given your life to Christ, I want to give you that opportunity right now. If you need to give your life to Jesus, you can do that in church right now. You can do that while you're joining us online right now. And I just want you to do this all across all of our locations. Just close your eyes right where you're at. And if you're with us today and you need to give your life to Jesus or you need to come back to him, can you just put your hand up and say, that's me, Pastor Nate? Just do it. It doesn't matter what anybody around you thinks. Our eyes are closed anyways. But you know you need to. Yes, 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 yes. Several hands in each location. Maybe you've raised your hand online in the chat. But 
you're listening right now, you can join the kingdom by surrendering your life to Christ, and I'll help you by giving you a prayer to pray. So if that's you, just pray this prayer out loud after me and repeat it, but mean it from your heart because I believe that God is listening to you. And church, you can join in right as well. Just say this. Say, Jesus, thank you for loving me so much that you came to the earth. You died on the cross for my sin. And then you rose from the dead. And I know that you're alive. Today, I surrender. I give up. I ask you to forgive me of my sin and make me new. I'm yours for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. People give their lives to Jesus. Amen. So if you prayed that prayer, you can jump right in with us in communion today. And uh, go ahead and grab your cups. Taking the bread that night, as we've already read, Jesus took the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. The brokenness of Jesus puts the broken things in our lives back together again. He remembers us. Even if you're disconnected, like Mr. Potato Head on a table, he can put us back together again. It's the Spirit of God, the love of God that does that. If you have a broken relationship or you have a sickness in your body, we're going to believe today that God is going to heal broken things. And if you are trusting in Jesus for that in any of our locations, would you just stand up right where you're at? Just say, I'm trusting Jesus for healing in my body. If you can stand, some of people aren't able to stand. That's okay. We can trust and believe with you. Or you have a broken relationship, a family member, a close friend. You want to see a, a miracle take place. Lord, we just lift to you who we are. And we look to you in faith and ask in Jesus' name that you would heal sick bodies, command wholeness out of brokenness. Lord, anything that's not of you, we pray, God, that you would speak a better word over relationships and over bodies. Lord, and put it back together again, we pray. We trust you for healing in Jesus' name. Let us eat. Thank you, Jesus. Taking the cup. Jesus said, this is my blood poured out or spilled out for you. I think it's interesting to me that Jesus said this before he was crucified. There's something so powerful about the blood of Jesus. He knew what he was doing the moment he came into the earth. And when his blood was spilled on the cross, it hit the ground that was cursed in Genesis. And his blood can restore the vilest, most crooked part of human character. It can breathe calm and peace into minds and souls that have been ravaged through fault of our own and the decisions we've made, but also by things done to us by other people. Did you know the blood of Jesus is stronger than any demonic force on the planet? That the blood of Jesus cancels all. Demons tremble at the name of Jesus because of the blood of Jesus. There is nothing more powerful in all the earth 
And church, if you're in a place where you know you need a miracle, you need the peace of God to enter your mind, you need the power of God to enter extraordinary circumstances in your life, I want you to stand believing that God will touch your mind, touch your life, and whisper his peace into your soul even now. And we're going to believe with you that God will do that. And even so, as we do, and I'm going to pray, and then we'll drink. And when I say amen, we're going to disconnect to locations, and we're going to begin to worship. We're all proclaiming Jesus is coming back together. We're in this thing together through thick or thin, good times and bad. You're going to mess up, and I'm going to mess up, but we're not going to give up. We're going to persevere and all the way to the end. We're going to make it, church. We're listening for that clarion call of Jesus. When the trumpet blows and we go home, we're all going to make it. Come on, somebody. We're going to do it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the blood of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for it makes us pure and clean and white as snow, as the psalm says that we will be forever at peace when you're in the equation. So we pray that the blood of Jesus would speak a better word over every mind and every heart and every family. And no matter what the lie is of the enemy or whatever the self-condemnation is that rises up within us, we declare Jesus to be the Lord, the conqueror, the one that overcomes the curse of sin, death, and the grave. And we trust in you and we look to you for our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. We look to you, Jesus, and we receive your peace this day in Jesus name. Thank you for joining us. We pray that you are encouraged and blessed by today's message. Check out emmanuelcc.org for faith resources, how to get plugged into community, or to join us live on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. We are so excited to see what God is going to do. The best is yet to come.